Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Addiction Treatments That Work. I'm your host, Kenneth Anderson, and tonight we're going to, to, to today we're going to be talking about the Lower East Side Harm Reduction Center. We're actually coming to you live from the center right now in New York City, and our guests will be the Executive Director Alexander Dyer, Harm Reduction Specialist Riley Glasgow. Health Services Coordinator, Johnny Benjamin, and Substance Use Counselor, Jose Sanchez. Before we start the show, I'm going to do a little blurb for our website and our book. Our website is hamsnetwork.org. We are a free-of-charge lay-led support group for people who want to make any positive change in their drinking habits, from safer drinking to reduced drinking to quitting altogether. And our book is called How to Change Your Drinking, A Harm Reduction Guide to Alcohol. It's available from Amazon. For more information, go to hamsnetwork.org. Well, I guess they're right with us in the room right now, and we're going to start with uh, Alexandra Dyer. How are you doing today, Alexandra? Very well, very well. Enjoying the last of an Indian summer, I think. Well, tell me a little bit about how you got involved with harm reduction. Uh, Late early 90s, uh, I met a woman named Yolanda Serrano, who was the founder and executive director for the Association for Drug Abuse Prevention and Treatment. Um, and she was really one of the pioneers in the harm reduction movement. And at that point, I knew nothing about harm reduction. Um, and she really uh, raised my awareness and opened my eyes to uh, what at that point was an on-the-ground, in-the-trenches fight to provide clean syringes to those most in need um, and to thereby assist in reducing the incidence of the transmission of the HIV virus. And uh, so I worked for a while uh, as the treasurer of their board of directors. And um, my career has spanned almost 40 years within nonprofit agencies, et cetera, but mostly focused on other kinds of uh, services. And so it wasn't until 2012, the beginning of 2012, when I then uh, saw the availability of the position here at, at LES and knew that I, I really did want to come back to harm reduction um, as such a vital service uh, in the community. And so I've been fortunate enough to be here uh, as we really do provide a very comprehensive array of harm reduction services for the community. So that was my introduction. Thank you. Uh, Johnny, do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got involved with harm reduction? Sure. Um, I spent uh, a good amount of time working or beginning to work in the HIV AIDS prevention field uh, and wanted to make a switch to what I considered more hands-on HIV prevention work vis-a-vis uh, syringe exchange. And so I began with a small syringe exchange in Queens County. And when there was an opportunity here to do hepatitis C-related work and then as time went on, more general health-related work, uh, I took the opportunity and I'm very glad to be here. Jose, what was your story? Well, I, I came here... Uh, in, in a not direct manner, I worked for the New York Academy of Medicine, actually providing uh, free flu vaccines door-to-door and on the streets of East Harlem and South Bronx. And that opened my eyes to the need of the community. Unfortunately, when the study finished, I sought other work and found the harm reduction field to interest me most. And it was the one that I could give back the most. And here I am today, and I'm thankful for it. And Riley? Well, uh, my history is uh, I'm an accountant. 
have 25 plus years in uh, public accounting, uh, dealing with North Housing Authority and HUD, federal government. Uh, I had an addiction problem. Came into New York that way. I started to go to resource uh, training center to get my case back because I changed my career at that point. And I backed into harm reduction, actually accidental. <laughs> But once I found out what it was and what it stood for, I'm very glad to be here. All right. Let's talk about some of the services that are offered at the Lower East Side Harm Reduction Center. Um, one of the things you do is syringe access. Would somebody like to tell me about the syringe access programs? Okay. So our, our syringe exchange is one of our first services. We became a, a licensed syringe exchange program in 1992. Um, and essentially, as simplistic as it sounds, syringe exchange is making syringes available to folks for whatever, for whatever they might be used for, whether that's if someone is diabetic, if someone is using injectable drugs, if someone's using hormones. Um, and the idea is that a person is able to drop off a used or contaminated syringe and pick up a brand new syringe. This also allows the program to be responsible for the disposal of those syringes, which uh, as a public health measure makes any place else where a syringe might be improperly disposed of, a safer place. So not only are we providing services for the individuals that are using syringes, but for the community at large. And that's our very first service. It's a service that we continue to operate six days a week here at LESHRC, and one that, uh, that we're very well known for, that we kind of lead the community of, of harm reduction programs in. And, uh, and in the past fiscal year, uh, just to give you an idea of the order of magnitude of the exchange of syringes, um, we took in uh, nearly 200,000 syringes and distributed nearly a quarter million syringes. So, Well, some people are going to wonder, um, does this enable drug users to use more drugs? Does it encourage drug use to uh, do syringe exchange? Probably one of the best ways to respond to that is to respond to another question which asks about whether or not drug users care about their health. And the proof that drug users care a great deal about their health uh, is the proliferation of syringe exchange programs. Lower East Side Harm Reduction Center was one of the first four syringe exchanges that were legal in New York City. And there are now 14 syringe exchange programs in the city with an additional seven outside of New York City and other parts of the state. Folks who need to access needles do so, and they do so not because the program exists. In fact, it's the, the reverse. The programs exist because there is that need. And we know that a person is going to respond to their need whether or not the program exists. With the program in place, we know that they are being safer about it and that uh, the community is being protected by it. We know that, that in the year that syringe exchange became legal, 1992, uh, the rates of HIV among injection drug users uh, took a dive. It went from about 50%, so one of every two injection drug users you met were living with HIV. Today, it's between 12 and 16%, and in some, place, in some instances even lower. Of all the special populations impacted by HIV, injection drug users are the groups who, group whose numbers continue to decline, and it's because of syringe exchange programs. Okay, thank you. Um, that still leaves open the question, does it encourage drug use? Do people use more drugs when they have uh, syringes available to them? I don't think our experience indicates that 
In fact, it's, it's quite the contrary. Um, we have participants who will um, give us testimonials, if you will. Um, one strikingly comes to mind, uh, one person who said, you know, I came in for a clean syringe and I ended up becoming sober. So I think it really affords someone the opportunity to, as an access point, a portal, through which the behaviors can be made safer, but then it leads to perhaps a dialogue, the beginning of a trust relationship that allows someone to explore why they are engaging in risky behaviors, and then to, to provide the access to then changing around those behaviors. So I think it really is one of the most positive things that someone can do. So. Okay. I'm going to do a little gonzo journalism here, which I do anyway on the show all the time, because I read the reports on the world, from the World Health Organization, and uh, syringe exchange has been studied over and over, and it has never led to increased drug use. So there's good reports out there from uh, WHO that, no, it reduces HIV transmission, does not increase drug use. Um, okay, I wanted to ask some more about the syringe exchange before we go on. Um, do you have a walkabout or peer-delivered program? So we have both. Uh, the syringe exchange began uh, with a storefront location that's here at 25 Allen Street, but we have outreach about six times a week uh, that are all walkabout, and we also have a peer-delivered ex uh, syringe exchange program in which active users are in, in ways deputized to provide syringes to their their community networks, their social networks, folks who they know that that uh, that inject. Um, and what it allows us to do is to reach populations who, for one reason or another, may never enter our doors. They still get the service. They still are able to access syringes. Okay, let's move on to the next one, which is the health services. Tell me a little bit about the health services. So syringe exchange in general is obviously a public health initiative, but we realize that our population uh, experience other health-related needs. And so some of the other services that we provide are screening tests for HIV, for hepatitis C, as well as vaccinations for hepatitis A and B to make sure that folks are able to uh, access healthcare, and if the service can't be provided here, that we can refer them to resources where they can, where they can receive primary care or specialty care as needed. Um, we know that oftentimes marginalized communities don't have the best relationships with physicians, and so to kind of reintroduce uh, members of our community to the medical community, we act as that bridge where a person can begin to receive health services here, and then they're given the tools and support to seek health services in other facilities. Well, one big problem with drug use is drug overdose. Is there anything that can be done about drug overdose? Yeah, yeah and uh, Elliot's HRC, we have an uh, almost mentioned In addition to not taking the Department of Health where we go to the uh, institutions where uh, more overdose is tracked. Okay, the post-incarceration, uh, an inmate is 13 times more likely to die than anybody in general population. And we found out the number one way that they die is overdose. 
and as referred to overdose, they are 129 times more likely to overdose than anybody else in general population. So before they come out, we do a service where we educate them on overdose, how to prevent an overdose, and if overdose does happen, how to bring somebody back from an overdose. We also give them a list of the syringe exchanges throughout the city of New York and state where upon release, they can come and get educated and a kit that will guarantee that they can reverse an overdose. Now, how do you reverse an overdose? Okay, there's a, for an opiate overdose, the reverse was made possible through naloxone. Naloxone is just generic name, Narcan is the brand name. Okay, it, it's an, uh, a blocker, an opiate blocker. If you uh, administer this medication, it will block the opiate use. So you can bring someone back from overdose. However, you know, you have combinations of drug overdoses where they might be taking an opiate, they might take a benzos, they might take an alcohol, and the combination is lethal. Uh, what naloxone will do will remove the opiate, which can still save their life. Does a person have to be a doctor to administer naloxone? No, they do not. Any general public can be trained to use naloxone properly. The only recommendation that I've been told is you must be 18 years of age. Okay. Tell us a little bit about groups and workshops that you have here. That can be all three of us. I, I can speak to um, one of the groups that I run here is the men's group, and it, it's once a week. Um, and we cover a wide range of topics, anywhere from uh, current events to the latest sports going-on. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it's a very laid-back, inviting atmosphere with, where men will come and discuss discuss men's issues and not feel uh, judged. And they can come and be themselves, and, and I think it's quite successful here at the agency. Okay, with our group and workshop dynamic, we have several groups. I do two harm reduction groups, one that bases in life skills, where uh, a participant can uh, get educated in different parts of their life to improve, or at least they have the education to make the best decision for themselves. The second one is the pharmacological of drugs, which explains why drugs do what they do and how they do what they do, where you also can make the best decision, or at least you can understand what's going on with your body when you take the drug, okay? We also have uh, groups and workshop as uh, hepatitis uh, C group and workshop. The group is uh, a closed group. You have to have hepatitis to be in a group where you can openly share about your disease and how it affects you. Okay, we do everything from uh, goal settings to going through uh, the myths, from uh, being uh, the treatment for hepatitis C, getting uh, diagnosed, getting treatment, and follow-up. Because, you know, hepatitis C is the hidden disease that uh, many people have and have no idea that they have it or how they got it. We also have, uh, you know, in the same way that we have a, a social a social educational group for men, we have a similar group for women, where women's issues are discussed, uh, whether that is ranging from relationships, child care, employment, uh, domestic violence, yes. exactly. Uh, we have uh, a number of groups for folks who are living with HIV, 
uh, and a group that uh, the Coinfective group, which is designed for folks who are living uh, with HIV and either also living with hepatitis C or at increased risk for hepatitis C. The idea is that we we understand that we are entering the lives of our participants, but that they have a social network outside of the time that they spend here. And so in providing support to them, in providing a space where they can feel safe, they can then take that information and share it with their family, with their friends, with their own uh, support system outside of Lower East Side so that when everyone is uh, knowledgeable, everyone can make the, the healthiest decision possible. Okay. Um, we also have two of our newest groups. Uh, we have a support group for transgender women. Uh, and then also we have a, um, a program for young people um, who may be street smart, who are, are at increased risk to, uh, to contract uh, either HIV, hepatitis C. And so, um, so we make separate times available to address their specific needs. So I wouldn't can, want to not mention those groups. Can someone tell me a little bit more about the street smart program? more detail? Okay. So the Street, Street Smart is based on an evidence-based intervention that was put out by the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. And it really targets young people with the definition being from 18 to 29. Um, and, but it and looks specifically at runaway youth or street-involved youth. One, one of the things that we know was that without a strong support system, those same youth are increased are at increased risk for HIV infection uh, or a lack of access to medical care, uh, a lack of information that can, that can negatively inform decisions. And so about a year and a half ago, we launched uh, the first cycle of Street Smart, uh, specifically our outreach coordinator, Sadat Iqbal. Uh, and what we found was that young people were really looking for a safe space where they could learn, where they could interact, uh, and where they could be introduced or reintroduced to harm reduction as a philosophy, where they're not being judged, where behaviors that would normally be looked at as negative are looked at as necessary for survival, uh, and where uh, young people are encouraged to make incremental changes in their behavior, with the ultimate goal being to be in a better place to make the best decision possible later on. And to date, I think we've had, um, we've had four cycles of Street Smart with about 40 young people having come through, and another cycle is getting ready to begin pretty soon. Yes. All right. What is the Positive Action Peer Education Program? So in 1995, uh, the Lower East Side got a grant from the New York State Department of Health, the AIDS Institute, and we launched one of the first uh, peer education programs that did not require its participants to be sober. This, this true embracing of harm reduction as a philosophy, where active users uh, and folks who have a history of use could come together and learn about a range of topics from outreach, HIV, sexually transmitted diseases, and the like. And so we are on our 52nd cycle. That's correct. Uh, our 52nd cycle with no repeats and uh, about 10 people per cycle. So we're looking at about 520 individuals having come through the program at 12 weeks in length, learning about these various aspects of harm reduction and really being encouraged to go back out into the community and share what they've learned. More recently, the group has, had, has taken place in English and Spanish, 
going forward, we'll be looking to uh, enroll folks who are recently returning from correctional facilities like uh, Queensboro Correctional Facility in Rikers Island. Uh, the overall idea being to provide individuals with information so that they can be more active in their communities. And for some people, this is a launch pad to becoming a peer educator, an intern, or to get full-time employment in the harm reduction or HIV prevention field. All right. What sort of wellness services do you have here? Um, we provide uh, ear acupuncture. Um, currently, there's three staff members that are certified in ear acupuncture, myself, Johnny, and uh, Monique Wright. Well, we also have a couple of other volunteers that come on a weekly basis and provide uh, ear acupuncture to deal with a wide range of uh, either addiction or to stop smoking or relaxation. Um, we also have yoga and Reiki meditation, which is a form of a uh, massage. Um, I think that our wellness program here is quite successful due to the fact that the operative word is free. And folks enjoy that tremendously. They know they can come here and receive these services where a lot of other places in the city and our surrounding neighborhoods, these services are no longer available to them. However, if they come here, they know they can come for an hour and receive acupuncture for free and uh, go about their business. What do you have uh, for nutrition services? So we we offer nutrition services in various forms. We have a uh, essentially an emergency pantry. We know that we can't talk seriously with someone about their their needs, their need for benefits, behavior change if their stomach is grumbling. And so anyone who walks in who's interested in any of those services, if they haven't eaten, can get emergency food. But we also offer a a light breakfast every morning with a more full and robust continental breakfast on Fridays. On the third Friday of the month, in addition to uh, other, other uh, food services, we have a full community meal, which offers a nutritious meal for uh, around 60 participants. And this is not only a time for folks to eat together, but it's a time for staff and participants to interact just around food. We know that food is not just about nutrition, but it is, it's often food for the soul. It's an opportunity for folks to just be human with each other uh, and eat. And so we do that uh, every month. We are always looking for new opportunities. One of the things that we're working on is a, a food pantry specifically for young people um, so that it can be available on Saturdays. But th those are some of the ways in which we try and feed the community. Tell me about your drop-in space. The drop-in space is, is actually one of the most vibrant uh, spaces within LES. It's, um, it's the space that will uh, greet you as you uh, enter 25 Allen Street. And it, and it can be anything from a safe space to be quiet um, and to come off the street to a place to utilize computers, interact with other participants, um, there are groups that do happen in the drop-in space, but it really is the place that allows people to engage with one another in a wide array of activities. Um, one thing that uh, we've just put into the drop-in space is a beautiful full-wall mural that was done by our participants uh, under the direction of um, our uh, one social work intern, and it allowed the participants through art to express some of the, their issues, their thoughts, their feelings, their sentiments, 
uh, in a very, very creative way. And we try through many activities in the drop-in space to allow people the, the widest breadth of expression, whether that be um, maybe Monique Wright will be doing the, um, the clothesline project in allowing um, our women to design T-shirts that express their connection, their background, their experiences with domestic violence, and then to have that presented in the drop-in space. So it really is the community space. It's the, uh, it's the place where people can come together. And one of the key components of the drop-in, we use it as an engagement tool. This is where we talk to the participants, and without wearing any particular hat at the moment, we really get to find out what their needs are. This is where, this is where the costume is, is dropped, and you get to meet the person for who they are, and they will tell you their needs. So it's a very good engagement tool. What is the wall of hope? Okay. So uh, in, in, in establishing strong relationships with the community, we wanted to find a way to say thank you to folks who have contributed uh, uh, both in time and, uh, and with, with dollar amounts. And so we have the wall of hope. It's a wall of tiles that uh, our community partners have designed uh, in their own way and that we, we, we put up as soon as you walk in the front door. Um, and it's, 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 a, it's named the Wall of Hope to really kind of underscore the fact that we can't do this work alone. We really, really need everyone's hands in to ensure that, that the community's health overall, and that community of drug users, but also the community here on the Lower East Side, uh, is maintained. And so when someone uh, works with us uh, and they're interested, they have the option to contribute and get a tile that is added to the Wall of Hope. So they can make a donation and get a tile? Yes. Yes. So there's a large tile, um, and that's 500, and there's a small tile, which is 250. And, and a number of people have, in fact, used the tiles when the wall first started to be constructed to remember those who had succumbed uh, in one way or another um, through AIDS and so on, um, and uh, to memorialize them. And so we, we do see that as a, as a wonderful remembrance uh, of people and also as a way that those who support us can have a very visible means of identifying their support of LES and of the communities we serve. So, so the supporters can design their own tile. Oh, indeed. Indeed, yes. And we have quite, quite an artistic array uh, that is represented. Yes. So we'd like to encourage any listeners out there to consider this, consider making a contribution and uh, getting a tile on the wall of hope. And let's go on to talk about outreach and volunteer program. Okay, uh, before I was talking about the drop-in and engagement, outreach is our, I'm going to say bread and butter only because it takes a syringe exchange outside of the agency. It, 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 uh, it extends our reach. Of course, with the peer to peer, but outreach and volunteers. Volunteer, this agency was based on volunteer work. At the beginning, we only had one employee that was paid. That was Henry. <laughs> but uh, every, every, most of our strength come from our volunteers. Still today, volunteers are uh, a great source of uh, manpower. 
okay? And when people come and volunteer, they're doing it from their heart. So you get the best of them, okay? And this is, we have two ways that we get volunteers and interns. Uh, one is through the uh, peer education program, and one is through every fourth, I mean, the last Thursday, Tuesday of every month at 4.30, we have a, a volunteer intern orientation where we pick the cream of the crop that will engage our participants outside the agency, which brings participants inside the agency, okay? Once you're outside and you feel a need and you're away from the agency, that prunes the participant to come to the agency, okay? They, they want to know where the love comes from. They come here, we show them where the love comes from. We're going to drop in or the uh, syringe exchange, we engage again. Get them into vital services. Okay, vital services is our housing, our substance abuse, our therapy, our social work, and we 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 deal with the population that falls through the cracks. These are the homeless. These are the people that are most people discard. Okay, so they are more than happy to take our love and come and get back. Basis of our volunteers. Okay. Do you have uh, mental health services you offer here? Uh, yes, we do. Uh, to encompass the, the mental health program, we have uh, currently four social workers that do talk therapy. We also have a consulting psychiatrist that he does med management for, for several clients. Um, along with that, he encompasses with myself the Suboxone program. I don't want to jump ahead, but that's a huge part of what he does here. And for those who don't know, Suboxone is an alternative to methadone or any other opiates. And um, I might sound biased, but I think it's one of the best programs that, that's going on because of our retention rate. Currently, we're looking at uh, 55 clients currently actively coming for Suboxone. Um, one of the selling points that, that that I talk to folks and they're interested in our Suboxone program is that, and you'll hear this word a lot when we talk about Lower East Side, we're non-judgmental and we're going to meet you where you're at. And that absolutely holds true when it comes to our Suboxone program, and I'm quite proud of it, to say the least. Okay. Suboxone is also called buprenorphine. Yes, it is. For people who know it under that name. And it's a great harm reduction tool. I mean, it frees people up so they don't have to buy heroin or some opiate illegally on the street. They can get a prescription. And it's it's a pretty safe way to, you know, control your opiate use. Um, let's move on. And what is case management? And what case management do you offer here? Case management uh, has, I think, the toughest job in the agency. As Riley was saying, and, and our, the folks that we deal with, our population are mostly homeless and folks that fall through the cracks and, and are discarded. And they have the toughest job of engaging these folks into entitlements, whether it's uh, dealing with their housing issues, uh, advocating for them, um, advocating for them when, to, to receive entitlements, uh, escorting them to, to appointments for advocacy. It, it, it entails a wide range. It's it's the support. It's an empowerment tool. Yes, it is. It Thank teaches you. them how to stand up for themselves and demand the rights that they are 
Entitled to. So we definitely empower people on a day-to-day basis. What is access to care? Access to care is a it's a com- it's a combination program specifically geared towards folks living with HIV. The idea is that the person is enrolled into both case management and mental health services, and that the case manager and therapist work together to ensure that the person always has access to care, whether that is with respect to their benefits, with respect to stress reduction and management, so that they can navigate all of the different aspects of being a New Yorker living with HIV. So this is one of our specialty programs. Okay. Um, What sort of substance use counseling do you do here? Um, As far as substance use counseling is concerned, what what I offer and what I think um, the whole the agency as a whole whole offers, uh, we identify triggers. One, we assess where folks are at in their addiction, whether it's pre-contemplation, and we're talking about the stages of change, all along up to maintenance. if folks come here and they're seeking um, detox services, I'll refer them out to, to a detox where they can go for seven days or up to six months, depending on, on what they want. Um, we also do individual counseling substance use to help folks identify the triggers. Sometimes when folks are out there and they're using, they don't know why, and maybe someone uh, pointing out to them, what the triggers were prior to that, whether it's money or, or, or an argument with your, your better half, whatever the case may be, sometimes identifying those triggers can help folks, hopefully down the line, not do, uh, not go back out there. And a lot of our groups are based on substance abuse treatment. I mean, it goes from anywhere from identifying triggers to relapse prevention, to, to reinforce the... Uh, the education, educating them on their drug use and the dangers of their drug use. But when they're ready to stop, they have the tools to stop. You know, one thing that, that when I tell folks when I meet with them on a regular basis is that even if you slip along the way, I'm not going to look badly on you, and neither is no one here at the agency. We're just going to embrace you and, 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 and bring you in and, and hold you tighter and not turn you away, and I think that's a huge selling point to our agency. It's very important, very often when people have a slip, they beat themselves up so much that they just want to use more exactly. drugs or alcohol or whatever it is they're using, so it's really keep them away. It's really important to be able to forgive yourself and move on and to know that other people forgive you too. Exactly. Do you help people uh, with housing issues? Um, I'm I'm going to talk a little bit about housing. What our housing specialist does mostly, it's quite difficult to get folks into housing per se. However, what he might do as, as with a case manager, he'll advocate when uh, a folk, somebody might be behind in their rent or is facing eviction. Uh, and along those lines, that he's a great advocate for the people when it comes to that, when it comes to uh, eviction and, and arrears and rent and stuff like that. With New York City, housing is always a big problem. But what our housing specialist does well is navigate through the turmoil. Okay? There's all type of agencies out there that will advocate for you. And knowing the agencies, 
sometimes helps them very much so. So you know where to go or, or who to call, okay? It's a lot of people that infringe on your rights when it deals with housing and knowing the, the rules and regulations and uh, where to go definitely will help. Okay. Uh, does the LES HRC have an event coming up? Oh, we do indeed. Um, this year we are celebrating uh, 20 years of uh, serving the community through uh, our array of harm reduction services. Um, and we are going to be holding a gala, uh, a masked ball, actually, uh, on November 8th from 6 to 10. And we're going to be holding it at uh, Battery Park Gardens at the uh, tip of Manhattan in Battery Park, uh, which should be a really beautiful event. And uh, we'd certainly encourage anyone who would like to join us. Uh, we still do have some tickets available, and uh, they can be purchased uh, through our website, uh, which is www.leshrc.org, uh, and they are $220 each. Uh, and we are putting together as well a, uh, a journal, and uh, certainly anyone who would like to participate, uh, congratulate us, etc., and our honorees um, would certainly be able to do that through the website as well. Um, and we are honoring four people who have been uh, very instrumental both in harm reduction um, as a movement and for LES individually. And uh, those four are uh, Sharon Stancliffe, uh, Donald Grove, Raquel Algarin, and Alma Candelas. So we are thrilled to be able to celebrate 20 years and to look at the commencement of our third decade in the community. So it should be a wonderfully celebratory event. And just to let people know they are listening, um, if we've done interviews earlier on earlier shows with both Sharon Stanka and Raquel Algarin. So you can go back to the archive and listen to those shows. And those are really good people. Um, we're about to finish up now the interview. So once again, give us uh, your contact info. Tell us the website, phone number, address, all the different ways people can contact you. Very good. Um, so our address is 25 Allen Street. Um, that is between Hester and Canal. And uh, that's uh, the zip code is 10002. Uh, and you can contact us by phone at area code 212-226-6333. And you can go through extension 100 to then be connected to whatever service would be appropriate for you. Uh, and you can certainly go on to our website as well, which is www.les. HRC.org. And so we invite you, uh, become a friend, become a supporter, come and access our services. We are here and we are ready to meet your needs. Okay, I'd like to thank you all for being our guest this afternoon. And everyone stay, uh, come back for our next show next week at our regular time. We will be interviewing uh, Leah Scholl, who is a minister. She is the author of I Heart Sex Workers. She's worked with HIPS. We've uh, interviewed HIPS earlier. It should be a really interesting show. 
so we look forward to seeing you all then.